Have you ever wondered whether the problems in the world today would exist if we had deeper connection to ourselves, others, and the environment, and acted from that place? Welcome to the Conscious Action Podcast with your hosts, Brian Burnerman and Kayla Grimble, who believe that connection is the key to taking conscious action as individuals and creating a better world. We are here to raise awareness and inspire meaningful action by sharing stories, knowledge, and conversations with thought leaders and change makers. From sustainability to well-being and everything related to conscious living, our mission is to empower you to be the change that you want to see in the world. Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Conscious Action Podcast. I am Brian Berneman, your host, and I have the pleasure to be joined for this episode by David Taylor Klaus. Thank you, David, so much for being here, for taking the time all the way from the U.S., to to be here with us and to be able to explore some really nice topics. I'm sure this is going to be an amazing conversation. But just for everyone that doesn't know you yet, would you mind introducing yourself? Awesome. Okay. Let me see where we're here. Let me check in where I want to go. All right. Here's how I want to do it. So you got the name right. It's David Taylor Klaus. Um, Let me start with this. My greatest accomplishment uh, I've been married to the same woman, a woman I've known since I was 11 years old. She and I have been married for 29 years. We, uh, I learned a long time ago, love is the easy part. We actually still like each other too. We have three adult kids, one who's married. They're all active part of our lives. They like and adore each other. And yeah, so that's my greatest accomplishment. What I do outside of that part of my world is my work I describe as reintroducing successful entrepreneurs and senior leaders to their families. And for me, that shows up as a mix of one-to-one coaching for the leader and team coaching for the teams they lead. So as the leader begins to reshape his or her world, and then they notice all of their old behaviors and habits and thinking patterns are the culture of the team. I get to go in and work with the team to help them shift as well. Um, And I'm a coach, I'm a speaker, I'm an author, and I love being on podcasts where I get to have cool conversations. How's that? Yes, amazing. And and I just want to to say, like, hey, first of all, like, I mean, how amazing to be able to, to have such a good relationship after so many years. It's not... For everyone and, and relationships, as I'm sure that this is something that you shared, it's one of the biggest teachers for a lot of us. <laughs> yeah, my wife and I describe it as, you know, a good marriage is the hardest work you'll do every day. But if you do the work every day, it's not as hard. Mm, beautiful. And, and I'm interested. And, whoa, whoa, to be fair, hold yeah. on, a little, a little outing myself here. Um, first 10 years of child raising, I was also growing a company and I was a little over calibrated towards the work. So um, Mm. sometimes even when you don't start doing the work on the good marriage until a little ways in, you get lucky and it still works. (laughs) Mm. Um, Because I I think she would say that she raised our children alone for the first 10 years. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's a, it's very interesting, but as you say, like, I think that, there's a lot of times there's still time and sometimes there's no longer any more time, yeah. but sometimes it works. 
And I'm interested, David, in your, you just shared that you did some coaching and I know because we've had this conversation before, but would you mind sharing a little bit of what was your journey on how it is that you share what you shared and, and the tools that you shared? How did you get across them into your life? Yeah, I, um, well, I, I mentioned already that I was a little bit, um, over calibrated and, and, I use that term I have for a long time and I use it really intentionally because, you know, everything in your, in our world is calibrating the level of engagement with the different areas of our life that are important. And I was over calibrated towards work. And what I realized is about nine years into running a company with a business partner that we got caught up like a lot of entrepreneurs do doing what we thought we should be doing, you know, cause I like, I like the po poetry of it. We were living the should life instead of living the good life, but it sure looked good from the outside. Um, I was leading the company. I thought I should, I was managing and leading the way I thought I should. We were doing the things we thought we should. And the challenge was I did that for so long, I sort of lost connection with what was really important, like the things that moved me and the, doing things a way that moved me. And um, I, 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 I got lucky because I hit bottom, but I didn't, I didn't hit rock bottom. Um, and in 2015, just after our web company hit a 10-year anniversary. And look, very few companies make it 10 years. And we started this internet strategy and web development business in 1995. We had to teach people what the internet was before we could sell them a website. I mean, it was super early. It was really exciting. And we had a blast. And by the time I hit 10 years, I was the only thing that I was sure about were the five best ways to kill myself. Mm. I mean, I had, I had lost my center and I had lost, like I couldn't find a reason to stay around that was for me. Mm. But I got, I got lucky. And I think the difference between bottom and rock bottom for me was I realized that I had learned that Actually, from a story about Ernest Hemingway and his family, I I'd found my way to the research that parents, children of parents who committed suicide, those children are 50 times more likely to, to attempt suicide in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. And that, man, that wasn't the legacy I wanted to leave for my children. That's not who I wanted to be for them or in their lives, in their memory. That's not, that wasn't okay. So um, that got me to do the work. That got me to stay first. And then that got me to do the work on me. That got me, it gave me the motivation I needed to get it to a point where I was doing it for me. Mm. And to reconnect to what moved me, what was important for me. And eventually to... Uh -huh. not just who I 
was and am, but who I wanted to be and the role I wanted to play and the impact I wanted to have. And so, yeah, it's a, entrepreneurs tend to do a lot inside their head. You know, we make up that our partners don't want to hear it. Our spouses don't want to hear it. Our friends don't want to hear it. And, and when you're wicked smart, you convince yourself, oh, I can figure this out. I, I, I can get this. I don't need help. Hmm. Except we're, we're a tribal animal. That's the way we're wired. And it's been like that since we were, since before we were bipedal. That's what we are. And we can't do it alone. We may convince ourselves that because we have done it alone for a period that we can. But ultimately, that's foolish and sometimes deadly. And so therapy and coaching and a lot of living out loud and in connection with people gave me the, the space to connect to more than just my head because the the information in our head is a fraction of what we have available to us. And I'm not even talking about source, universe, God, whatever it is for you. And I'm not talking about what's outside. I'm not even what's talking around us in the environment. I mean, there's so many more signals, orders of magnitude, more signals coming from the body to the brain than there is from the brain to the body. But still our knee-jerk reaction is to figure things out in our head which is kind of dumb because that's like if you've got 10, 20, 50 times more signals coming from the body to the brain, why rely on what's in the brain? The somatic intelligence is incredible. There's so much richness there and it's how we move through and interact with the world around us. So it gave me a chance to be more connected. And that's what that's, the change that mattered. Yeah. First of all, yeah, thank you for, for opening up and sharing because I do think that it's so important for for that aspect that a lot of people don't talk about because it's quite a taboo topic. Mm. Um, that is and and I think that just because it's not spoken about then people that are going through potentially a similar situation and are starting to think uh, and having suicidal thoughts or are in, in, in depression, they don't feel like they can share it because they haven't seen it modeled in that way. If, if no one shares it, it's, it's not being able to, to give the permission to other people. So first, thank you for, for sharing that. And, and secondly, I think that it's so important that you share something. And for me, this is one of the most important topics is reconnecting to our bodies. Mm. I usually talk about this, like, and I, I talk about a lot of, uh, let's say, spiritual topics. But as you said, like, the, the beginning, it's not about that going out. The beginning is about going inwardly. Mm. And Go going, in so you can go out. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, and connecting to, to that wisdom and that inner knowing that our body has. Like, I, I do know how much that was important for me when I started to get introduced to 
more body-based practices. Mm. I was like, whoa, like this changes everything because I was in my head. I, I, I'm, I'm really heady. I, I, I'd like to think that I'm intelligent, but more than that, I was living in my head. Mm. Whether I was intelligent or not, I was in my head. And I was able through years and years of practice, I was able to actually get to the point where I notice what is intelligence and what is wisdom. Mm. And I can actually understand where that is coming from and how I embodied something or not. And I think that that reconnection to our body, as you were sharing, is such an important part of it. And, and you know, here's what I want to say to the folks listening, because when you say through years and years of practice, I know that some people step back because they hear, oh, great, the only way for me to get good is years and years. I don't have time, right? And, and, and I really specifically want to speak to it because in a moment, mm. you can change it. And, and I will t- I'll, I'll serve the how monster in a second. I will tell you how that, that I have found. But just to <laughs> those who don't believe in magic will never see it. Right. And so that's the same as believing in wisdom available from your body. First trust that there's something that, that available to you that doesn't come from your brain. That's step one. And, and the other one is, whether you're listening for it or attuned to it or not, it's always there. It's always communicating. You don't have to start doing anything different. It's stop doing things that you're doing, right? The way I described it is I don't hear very well at speed. And I figured that out years ago as a cyclist because, you know, you wear a helmet because I don't want to die. And it's got a strap that goes under your chin. And the faster you go, the more that little strap next to your ear is making noise. And, you know, people are talking to you from behind or in front. I'm like, dude, I can't hear you. <laughs> but, but that was such a simple, it's like, I can't hear things at speed. And in order for me to get any wisdom from my body, I have to slow down to listen. So, just pausing quietly and ask, what am I feeling in my body right now? Or, wow, somebody just said that and I had a reaction. Where in my body did I react to that? Don't worry about what it means yet because your brain can't help but attaching meaning to it because we're meaning-making machines. That's what we do. That'll come. You can't avoid it. So just start with, noticing and just every once in a while check in and notice it doesn't have to be well, i'm embarking on a journey of lifelong work at this no play with listening to your body just play and and my favorite way to describe it is notice what wants to be noticed and and that was the key for me it was just pause and notice what wants to be noticed don't try to figure anything out feel it out don't, don't figure shit out. Just feel it out. Like, play with this. So yeah, I just, I, 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 I don't know, not just. I felt strongly compelled to share that because 
I don't want people to turn away from the intelligence and the, from the wisdom that's available just because they think, oh, this is a lifetime of changing everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Slow, yeah. slow no. down, Skippy. Step by step. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because I, I actually, I, like for me, even though, like, yes, it's been years and years, the years and years is just of refinement. Like, I, I literally, I remember the first time that I did a Tibetan yoga class. And that, I, I, and like, I can still remember it in my body now, the feeling. And that was that turning point because it was, and as you just mentioned, it was slowing down, noticing, and trying not to label the experience. Those three things were the key components and it gave me the time to actually notice like these movements that I was doing and the feeling and I was like, wow, that class that I did, like as you mentioned, like it doesn't need to be the years and years of practice. It can be as fast as that. Because we all have that intelligence. About 16 years ago, I had a little health thing. It was a little weird. And as I was coming out of it, we found out that our eldest child needed to come off gluten. And that's another three chapters in a book, literally in somebody else's book about this kid's experience. Um, And I figured, "Ah, well, if they've got to stop eating gluten, I'm not eating much right now. Why don't I do that too? Within two weeks, my eldest and I had the same experience. It was like a reboot. Brian, my, my, I had a fog that after 39 years lifted. And it, literally, it was like I saw and heard and felt everything was different. In a matter of two weeks, my brain chemistry shifted because of it. And... It's like, no, I don't ever think about eating it because I like not having the fog, right? Mm-hmm. And the only other time I've had an epiphanous moment like that is all of a sudden I felt like, you know, then I felt like I had all of my senses were amplified. And the moment I realized there was stuff in my body that I wasn't taking in or using or taking advantage of, whatever language, it was one more of those. I was like, oh my God, there's another sense. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I was like, then there's a leaning in that happens. It's like, I want more. I want to know more. Right? I want to, and it's tied to my intuition. Mm-hmm. You know, I say it as I heard. But just as often, it's I felt. And just as often, it's something that appeared, like it was an instantaneous awareness that came from no sensory input. So Mm. just being open to all of that. And, you know, name it, don't label it, right? I, I like that distinction that you said, don't label it. Yeah. Name what you're feeling. Don't label it. Don't, don't attach. Labels have meaning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So thank you for saying that. Yeah. And for me, it is about, it's about that. It's about for the way that I got it when I was told, don't label it. 
don't touch it and try at the beginning not even to name it because mm. as soon as I name it, my brain is, has been wired and conditioned to actually label yeah. and, and <laughs> judge. So it's, there's a correlation there. And I, and I do want to, to touch on, on the topic of, of, our, of our mind um, because I know when a lot of times when I'm talking with people, and in the space of meditation and mindfulness and a lot of these different practices, somehow I get sometimes people asking me or people sharing with me, why is the head like the bad guy? And I'm like, no, the head is not the bad guy. The mind is not the bad guy. It's just learning how to balance and how to pay attention to other things but also understanding how amazing of a tool our brain is and how can we use it. So I, I want to, to explore um, with you, what is it about our brain that you would like to, to share with people, especially that which has to do with mindset and the possibilities of change? Nice. Um, so... <laughs> I'm going to make it sound like the brain is the bad guy for a minute. <laughs> yes. But what I realize is to go back to what you said before the question, no, the, the brain is not a bad guy. It's how we're using it. That's a little wonky and, and how we're overusing it. And I, I shared it with somebody a couple, uh, several weeks ago. I said, it's like, okay, if you walked into a boxing ring with Mike Tyson which is foolish enough, but you did that with one hand tied behind your back. How would that go? It would end very badly. But approaching the world head only or heart only is as foolish, right? Because the, the body intelligence and the, and the head intelligence do beaut beautiful things are possible when head and somatic awareness, somatic intelligence come together. So it's like, you know, when it's like one thing that I want to shout is, man, both. It's a yes and, and together, and with awareness and intention. So with that said, I'm going to make the brain the bad guy for a second. Because <laughs> the brain science, the, the brain and the way neurochemistry works and our impatience as a species, as a species and a society are, are the problem because they don't play nicely together. We are an impatient creature by upbringing, by, by acculturation and by education. We have become inherently and habitually impatient. That's bad. <laughs> and I'm judging that I'm labeling it's bad. Here's why. Um, our brains, huh, the quick neurochemistry or neuro neurology, because, um, Neurons have these long stretches called axons, and some of them can run many, many feet. I mean, this is a the long piece of the neuron. And what's important about it is for electricity, for a current to run across a neuron, meaning a thought to move along a series of neurons, it's a little electrical current, and it runs better when there's a fatty sheath called myelin along the axon. Well, here's the thing. The more often you have the same thought or the same behavior, the more often that nerve fires, the fatter that myelin sheath becomes on the outside of it. 
Well, if you want to have an, if you want to hold a new mindset and move in a a different behavioral direction, you're making a neural connection that has less myelination on the axon, meaning the electrical current really wants to go along the fatty sheath. It doesn't want to go across the little thin wiry one. So in order to break a pattern, you have to have that neural path followed less and a new one followed more. And there's no switch flip for that. So some researchers say, you know, three weeks, some say four weeks. It doesn't matter. It takes longer than our inpatient animal brain wants to do something repeatedly that we suck at. None of us like to do things that we suck at. Few, sorry, few of us like to do things that we suck at right? Even if we know that we're going to suck at it for a while and eventually we'll get good at it, we don't like it, right? But then again, none of us remember that we all talk and we all walk. And there were times in our life as a, as a human being where we didn't walk and didn't talk and long stretches where we sucked at both. But we didn't stop doing it while our neurons figure themselves out. We didn't stop. We kind of kept doing it until we were good at it. Well, I, it's like, good God, if we can just take small actions repeated with frequency over a duration of time, we can create anything in our lives, right? Anything. But that means being less impatient. I don't want to say it means being patient because I don't know, people don't like say, you know, be patient. Never in the history of being patient has anybody been patient because you've said be patient, right? So just be less impatient. Because it's not the massive actions, it's the small actions repeated with frequency over a duration of time that will actually create the meaningful change that you crave. So be a little less impatient. Yeah. But by the way, on the bright side, once you've created a new behavior pattern, your brain wants to keep doing it. So it will lay more fat, more myelin on the axon. It will help you keep it going. You just have to get there. So yes, definitely. And and it's it's interesting because it's this like a lot of times it is the understanding for some people of how our brain works to be able to actually create the changes. And for some other people, there's no need to know. We can go and try things out. But it's this importance of understanding that, A, we are conditioned. And that conditioning is strong. But we are plastic as well. So we have that possibility of changing and going into a new direction. And this is where I... I believe that the more that I become what I want to be, the more that I embody how I want to feel, how I want to be, the easier it is for me to do those things. Yes. And I, I would love for you to, 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 to touch on that. I think that this is, this is such an important topic that is how... What comes first, being or doing, and, deciding. and what's important yeah. there? Deciding. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah. So I'm a language nerd. And, and um, I'm going to do something on video with you, but I'll narrate it, okay? So I'm grabbing, <laughs> grabbing something else, something I can throw. 
Okay. <laughs> so no, uh, the deciding it's deciding being doing. Um, and here's why. Okay. So the difference between choosing and deciding the, the Latin root for the word decide is decere. It means to cut. Um, so I've got two pens in my hand. I got a blue one and a black one. If I want to choose the blue pen, I put the black pen back in the cup on my desk because I'm choosing one and putting the other one back in a place where I have access to it. If I decide on the blue pen, I throw the black pen, I throw it away. I've cut it out, right? It's no longer part of my choice set. And that's important. It's like, you know, people talk about, you know, the explorers came to the new land and burned the boats. So they didn't have a plan B. All right, fine. That's kind of dramatic. Yeah. And it, you, you can take the dramatic poetic route. It's really that simple. When, when one decides what one wants to be and begins to be that, the doing is a logical extension. And, and the challenge we run into is we often will focus our efforts on changing our actions, changing our doing to get different results. And here's why that doesn't last because your brain wants to go back to what you've been doing before. So even if you keep changing the actions to get different results, it doesn't stick. So, and that's because you haven't addressed the behaviors behind those actions. You haven't addressed the thoughts that are behind those behaviors or the feelings underlying those thoughts or the beliefs that shape those feelings because you haven't touched the identity at the core of all of it. And the game is, and I use play language a lot because we will put more energy into playing with a rough issue than we will working on a rough issue. So it's playing with one's identity. The easiest example to use is we, we all have either dealt with trying to lose weight or reshape our bodies, or we know someone close to us who has. I wanted to... You know, I'm in my 50s. So several years ago, I wanted to change my body. If I'm going to live to 100, there were, I had to be healthier. And yeah, I could change the doing of it. I could change my actions, what I was eating, when I was eating, how much I was eating. But that was addressing the doing part. And anybody who's done a diet or a new eating program, how many times has it worked the first time? How many of these programs or exercise regimes or, or dietary plans have people gone through that didn't work? It's a like, I don't know, 50, 60 billion dollar industry just in the US. It's bananas. And it's because it's just changing actions, sometimes all the way deep to behaviors. I decided on an identity shift. I decided that I am an athlete. That was the identity. Not that I'm going to be an athlete. The goal state was my come from. Mm. Right? It wasn't where I was going to. I was coming from there. It's be it until you are it. Not fake it till you make it. That's very different. Mm -hmm. yes. Be it till you are it. And I decided that my identity was that of an athlete. Then it was, wow, as an athlete, what are the beliefs I hold? Right? What is it that an athlete believes? What is it? How is it that an athlete feels? And, and playing with that, 
right? Is that shifted my attention on my body and the outcome and what it looked like. It changed my behaviors dramatically. And it was no longer, oh, I don't want to get out of bed. Because <laughs> an athlete doesn't lay around in bed going, I don't want to get out of bed, right? It changed the way I engaged with the world around me. And it changed my body quickly and dramatically and ongoing, right? So mm. changing my identity is the most profound way that I could ever change my actions and therefore the results that I get. Mm. And so, yes, the goal state, <laughs> I think, I want to say for everyone, I don't know enough about everyone to tell you, but I know <laughs> the desired goal state. If I ran the world, <laughs> the desired goal state would be that all of our doing is a logical and inevitable extension of our being. And so by putting our attention on our being and deciding, like it says right on my wall, achieving more requires becoming more, paying attention to our becoming and our beingness allows us to change the doingness effortlessly or easefully. So, yes, deciding, being, doing. And I love what you mentioned as well on the not fake until you make it, but being till you are it. There's, it, it seems that they are quite close related, but they are different. Yes. And I think that it's so important uh, to to put that in in the space to to be able to to notice how for everyone that plays out. Because I do know that for a lot of people they've been fed that fake until you make it, and it's it's not usually uh, successful. Unless Indeed. they were actually being. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's really, really interesting. And I'm curious, um, David, if you would be able to share, because this is one of the topics that I'm super passionate about. This is what you do for work, is getting to the place of balance and understanding balance in our lives. Because we live in a society where for the majority of people, success means money, mm. um, status, and power, or, or like for the majority of people. Yeah. And there's this race, as, as you were sharing before on your own experience of how um, a lot of people tend to put so much of them into work and suddenly some aspects of their lives start to not be taken care of or or not to be to be well and i know this as well from a lot of my clients this is one of the things that we work on how can we balance all the different aspects of their lives because they really value the relationships yet they are caught up on work and how how do you work with this with your clients um, well like you so i'm going to say it started the, the work i do starts with language Like you, you, you brought the distinction in between be it till you are it and fake it till you make it and how they seem similar, but the words really carry different meaning in, right? Um, I, I, the first step is to, is to kill the word balance. Mm. And, and here's why. Um, the phrase work-life balance is killing us. <laughs> the, it's like, whose absurd idea was it to put the word work first in that phrase? I mean, it's bloody asinine. 
And, and I think that's why we have these unwritten rules that have us over calibrating, why we tie up our sense of success to the success of the work we do. And that's just all twisted. <laughs> you know, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. We are not spiritual beings having a working experience. The, the idea is insane. So, so I think work-life balance needs to be put on the scrap heap. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> right there with child labor. So the, I mean, it's as bad for us as, as a culture. Um, so, so here's the thing. Work is an element of our life. So is play. So is community. So is family. So is love. So is freedom. So, it, so are many things. So it would be a super long phrase if we said life and then named all the things that were part of it. So, so and in order to balance anything, back to beating on that word, you have to separate them to balance them. Yeah, good luck. So, so what I help folk begin to shape their, their frame around is the idea of life rhythm. Finding that beautiful, fluid rhythm between all the aspects of one's life that are important to them. Finding that rhythm between all of them. Get all those pistons firing in a way where they play in relationship to each other. That is the goal. And <laughs> that's also easier. Easier, not easy. And when that's our framework around it, when that's the lens through which we see it, when our mindset is one of life rhythm, it is a, it, it's, something that has more nuance and less stain. And it, it's easier for us to put our attention on and to find success with. And it also has us pay attention to what our actually actual currencies of success are. And money is not one because money is not a currency, which sounds weird because money is the currency we use for commerce it is the mechano it's the mechanism for exchange of value across commerce <laughs> but it's an agreed upon fiction those little pieces of paper and in the US the ugly monochromatic pieces of paper that that people will kill themselves to take home more of is an agreed upon fiction we we have no intrinsic attachment to coins and pieces of paper they have value because our society says they have value and we have agreed that that's true, right? It's an agreed upon fiction. If you want to go deeper in that idea, read Sapiens by Yuval Harari that talks about how our culture has evolved, including monies in exchange. It's fascinating and you realize how daft an idea it is, right? So coming back, money is not a currency of success. And when we measure our success through how much money we had, we're we're not that far off from the depression and world war two where in both situations, it didn't matter how many zeros you had in the bank. If you woke up the next morning, you had zero. And so that's the amount of money one has is not a measure of success. Sorry. <laughs> it's also not financial security. Financial security is, do you know how to create, the way, what you need to balance your portfolio. Do you know how to make money? That's financial security. Now, but let's go back to currencies of success. The, yeah, you can tell I get totally 
jacked about this stuff. I think this is <laughs> this is what this is a concept that will change the way humans interrelate, right? First with themselves, then with others around them. Because the things that move you, right? Whether it's spirituality, whether it's family time, whether it's being home to put the kids to bed at night, travel, freedom doesn't matter. Whatever your values-based portfolio of success currencies looks like, creating a rhythm between those is the measure of success. A balanced portfolio of your currencies is success. Money is just the fungible asset we use to fund all those things. It's a tool. It's not a measure of anything. Nothing. So when we shift our measurement of success to to get a, a test of ooh how successful am i feeling now <laughs> right <laughs> look at the portfolio that's the i want to shake people by the shoulders till they're awake moment right that's just what's important yes. not these monochromatic pieces of paper and it's so important as you mentioned to know what is important to each of us to know what's in that portfolio to understand that. And, and I share this with a lot of people because I've been asked and I've shared this on the podcast before why I wasn't successful. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? Because here, this is like, you know, like I, like I live in this beautiful place. I, I choose what I want to do every day. I work for myself. I'm able to make a living. I have time. I have freedom. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing what I love. I'm, I'm there for other people. Like, you know, this is, you know, this is, this is the life that I'm choosing. Yeah. So being able to, to know, but, but this is the important thing, just as you mentioned before, and, and, and we touched on this and that slowing down to yeah. notice, notice, like slowing down to notice what also is important for you yeah. and how to find then those rhythms. The dare because to name what's actually important. Mm. Like declare it, not just yourself, but out loud. Like when you say it out loud, when you declare it into the space, into the world, this is what's important to me. Wow. Mm. I mean, that, and it's not to say that, oh, none of what you people are doing out there is important to me. No, it's not about that. It's not meant to be judgy. It's meant to be, whoa, I'm clear of what's important for me mm -hmm. yeah. and it's 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 not about anybody else's reaction to it it's not about anybody's agreement or awareness mm -hmm. it's just your being bold enough to speak it into the world yes. part of the way you create it mm. and on top of that i have found this has been true both for me and for a lot of the clients that i work with with this is once that happens it's easier to understand where to know mm -hmm. what what are my boundaries yeah. and and not being you know it's it's not about being an, an asshole as you say like it's not that others don't matter it's that I matter <laughs> <laughs> and I matter first yeah for me at least <laughs> absolutely yeah no no it, for me and only me yeah that, yeah that's the thing I think and I don't know if it's acculturation or religious acculturation I, I don't know i don't know where it comes from but the, we've we've attached this stain to the word selfish mm. and that's not healthy I, I and and i think what it is is that we've conflated 
the two words that, that selfish just means attending to attentive attention to or attending to self self-centered is attention to self to the detriment or exclusion of others and then all the way on the other end is narcissism which is attention to self what do you mean they're others right so so if we confuse selfish with self-centeredness or narcissism that's the problem i think we're so averse to the idea of selfish that we don't self-care and you can't give what you ain't got right and it doesn't mean i'm not just talking about people who by design or profession or intent serve others i mean just (laughs) you can't be there for other folk when you're not there for yourself so if you have to hold it as selfish in service of do it. Hold it that way. It's a good start. Keep your batteries filled so you can be there for the folk who you choose to serve or be a part of their lives. It's, man, keep your batteries filled so you can charge other folk. Yes. But whatever you do, <laughs> keep yours charged. <laughs> and, and, and I didn't, like, I, I remember, I, I, sometimes I, I try to remember how one of my teachers told me this, but it, it, it was this was coming from the Tibetan Buddhist teachings, and he said, "You are number one. If you put yourself first, you're putting everyone else first. I'm like I'm butchering how he said it, of course, yeah. but but it was this this incredible realization for me when I was doing those those teachings that things can be important at the same time. Yes. I can be held as number one and you at the same time can be number one and everyone else that I'm supporting can be number one. Yeah. And the way that we've been conditioned or the way that I was conditioned up until that moment was that that cannot happen. There needs to be what's number one and then the rest. And it's like, no, it's at the same time. You, I can hold all of this as the number one important thing. And I can be with that all at the same time by actually making sure, as you were saying, that I yes. am okay, that I am taking care of myself so I can be of better service with everyone. So a story pops into my head. So with a group of coaches and we were playing with some ideas for uh, that several of us wanted to take out to client groups or presentations. And one of the coaches did an exercise, which I then started to play with, with a bunch of other coach groups because I was fascinated by how it turned out. So I wanted to play it out with people who have done a lot of personal growth work, right? And, And, you know, the saying is that the best kept secret in personal development is coach training because you do the work on yourself so you can do the work in the world and you never stop doing the work on yourself, right? So some of these coaches had been at it for a couple of years. One of the coaches had been at it for 30 years. So no joke, we sat down and I had a group of, so far I've done with done this with over a hundred folk in the personal development space. A ton outside, but the ones, think about it, those hundred or so. Take a piece of paper and rip it into five strips. Put down 
five, write down in one name on each paper, the five most important people in your world. And then over the course of several uncomfortable minutes, it's like, okay, throw one away. What? (laughs) (laughs) And, And then, and it's like, yeah, okay. I know it was uncomfortable. Toss another one. And you get them down over many minutes to one. 5% have had their name as the last one in their hand. Five. Right? Out of just over 100, five people. And it's like, it's shocking how pervasive this is, even with folks who've done a lot of personal work. It's like, wow. (laughs) Let's, let's, Let's start with the real work. Right? These people that want to grow their companies say, yeah, grow my people. Okay, dude, you want to grow your company? Grow your people. You want to grow your people? Grow yourself. Right? Leadership <laughs> starts here. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Which is fair enough. But yes, it's, it's so important to, to be able to, to get that recognition. Uh, I've done this a lot of times, uh, actually, like uh, not, a, not the same exercise that you've done, but asking people who is the most important person in your life and and most people don't reply <laughs> right it's it's always really interesting and and i think that some people might actually believe that they are the most important but wouldn't have said it because they don't want to seem self-centered right they don't want to seem self-centered but they're probably using yes. the language selfish yes confusing exactly it. yeah Yes, yeah. definitely. Wow, it's um, like change the way we raise children. It's amazing how quick this world will change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, like the the Dalai Lama said, like many years ago, teach every kid how to meditate, and the world will find peace in like in no more than like one or two generations, like something like that. Is like, of course, it's the way that we condition is so so interesting and. David, I'm. I know that I could talk with you for hours and hours. I'm just going to get to the last few questions. Okay, okay um, go. <laughs> uh, the first one is: What is one resource that you would recommend to people? Book, uh, website, documentary, whatever. Can Can I do two? Feel free to do. Two. I had two jump up. Okay, so one is, um, I love powerful tiny books. And there's one called The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. I think it should be required reading for every human because it's a great recipe for undoing the domestic, he calls it domestication, to undoing the domestication that happens through our educational and our acculturation processes. All the agreements, all the rules that have been foisted upon us without our knowledge, understanding, or conscious selection, um, Wow, there's a lot. And when you start, when you all of a sudden open up your awareness to it, you're like, oh, crap. Okay, so that's an unwritten rule that's shifting my behavior that's not mine. And and then gives the framework of four agreements by which you can live that will give you a much richer, more in, intentional and attentional life. So it's, you know, 120 pages. If you speak Spanish, get it in the original language because it's just gorgeous, flowing, more formal language, and it's incredible. And it took me a long time to get through because my Spanish is eh. Um, Mine is luckily 
good. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say if <laughs> yours, I imagine you would really enjoy it. Um, but it is it is a wonderful book, and and especially for any entrepreneur, because as the world starts dictating the shoulds and the right way, um, throw that crap off, and give it give a copy to everybody in your company. Um, the second one is a much more practical tool. Um, there's a, a, a body of work called Positive Intelligence, um, a guy named Shazad Shamin. And I've been using the saboteur assessment with my clients for 12 years. Um, and I, a couple of years ago, I started going deeper into the work and actually running small groups with it. But go to positiveintelligence.com and look at the program, the mental fitness program. And they've got a program where you can sign up and it runs on your app and you get a pod and it's great. And I'll explain it in a second. Um, I do one where I'm the one who runs the pod and there's coaching involved in it. But no matter where you are, there are groups all around the world. And you can, it's positiveintelligence.com slash program. And it's over the course of seven weeks, you become familiar with how to break apart the, the negative narratives in your head. He calls it the nine saboteur archetypes and the judge. Um, and when you start recognizing where those narratives came from and how to identify them and counter them, and how more importantly to move into the sage, those better angel voices in your head, which are all natural parts of our human experience. And he breaks it down in an incredible way and, shockingly, <laughs> gives you small actions you can take repeatedly over a short duration so that you can build new habits based on the new mental narratives. Um, I have seen some radical transformations in people's mental fitness, their ability to recover from negative spirals. It's astoundingly simple and incredibly profound change so go yeah Beautiful. it's a huge it's a awesome. very good tool nice and what's david if someone comes to you and i know this is a tough one but if you just have to share one tip with someone to help them change what would that be i got two competing i'll give you i got i'll pick one Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, no, here's what I want. Here's the one I want to share. No, here's the one that wants to be shared. Um, <laughs> somatic check-in. Pause, breathe, shut down external feeds and just attend to noticing what wants to be noticed. Just a somatic check-in. And here's a simple way to see what surfaces. And it's something that comes from human design but is this a yes or a no no is it an uh-huh or an uh-uh that's mm. a it's <laughs> language sort has a different source right mm. is this a yes or no is this <laughs> does this work for me uh-huh or uh-uh which one wants to come up do that somatic check-in just start mm. with that I do, I do a lot of language work early with clients for that reason. So this is a good one. Getting them, if I could give people one tip, it's go for a somatic check-in. As you make a decision, don't turn off your brain. Add the somatic check-in. Yes. 
that's such a good one. And what is the one thing that you wish that everyone in the world knew? Oh, good God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's that you're in control. And in, I, I hit this in the intro to my book. There's a quote that Carl Jung gets credit for, but this goes back to the Talmud. It's, we do not see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. What's powerful about that is, that means we're in control because the lens we choose changes our experience in the world because it colors the way we collect evidence. You will never stop your brain from collecting evidence. That's what it's built for. Right? We are evidence collecting and meaning making machines. We do both. Can't stop it. And don't want to. <laughs> but since we since the lens we choose changes our experience, when you change your lens, you change your life. You are absolutely unequivocally and completely in control of your life. You can live that reported on life where you merely label the things that happen to you, or you can create your life. Mm. Live that created life because you're in control of the lens you use. So yes, that, yeah, that would be a sea mm. change for humanity. Yes, definitely. I, I always share with people, you have the power. And knowing it's it's the same concept of what you're sharing for me. It's that like you have the power to change. It doesn't come from anybody else. It's already in you, but you need to find it <laughs> and you need to know <laughs> and, and you to need to know it. that you're in control. Yes, sorry, you need to decide to use control. it. Mm, <laughs> beautiful. It's such an important thing that and going back to the four agreements, the words that we use and how we like what we say and the meanings attached to it because as well my understanding of a certain word that you're saying is completely different from yours so perhaps it, it's always interesting at least when I work with my clients trying to unpack what do they mean by that yeah what do you mean when you say the word choose what do you mean when you say the word decide you know to understand like are they are we saying the same thing or not we we confuse common language for common understanding all the time and that's yes. wow there's a, a woman named judith glazer who has a body of work called conversational intelligence and one of her conversational essentials is she calls double click just mm. like on your mac or pc when you have a folder how do you find out what's in it you double click <laughs> And that lets you see what's inside that makes up that folder. Well, same thing. If what you say about choose, how you define choose and how you define decide, well, <laughs> what do you mean by choose? Let's double click on that word mm -hmm. and see what's inside. See what you mean by that. And wow, just asking people to, what do you mean by leadership? What do you mean by success? What do you mean by happy? Like unpack that. And mm -hmm watching someone unpack a word that they use to really clarify what it means. It's like, you can watch them. Their eyes will go, Whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> Is that what I mean? And then how different your definition and my definition might be, but what, it, what it does for building trust, just to unpack the language difference and just knowing it. Yeah. Mm. So I, I was blown away by that idea of double click. It's such a simple one yes. for getting out of that, 
lack of mm. common understanding is defined by common language. Yes, I'm going to start using it actually. I really like that. I, I haven't heard it before. So that's a good one. And David, lastly, yeah. how can people find you online? How can people follow what you do? Oh, I like making it easy. Okay, so <laughs> go to mindsetmondayswithdtk.com. It, it, the name of the book is Mindset Mondays with DTK. And so when you go to mindsetmondayswithdtk.com, you'll see a couple things. One is there's information about the book. You can also get more information about me. And there's a, a rewire framework that I built for the book so that the reader can use. There's some rewire prompts at the end of each chapter so that people can take the learning and break it down into a way they can use it so they'll keep the learning right? They'll actually use it in their world. So it will reinforce it. But there's a version of the rewire framework. That's an open framework architecture that you can use for anything in your world that you're trying to deal with. It's a structured approach to integrating and reinforcing new ways of thinking, being, and doing. So download it for free, use it. They're new mindsets you're, you're playing with. If they're new ideas, new behaviors, new identities you're playing with, use the rewire framework and the step-by-step -step that's in it to make those stick. I, I put it out there so people will use it. Yes, if you buy the book, fabulous. More importantly, <laughs> use the framework. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much, David, for taking the time. I, I love having this conversation. I'm looking forward for more conversations in yeah, the future with you. Um, and for everyone that has been listening to this episode, what was one thing that resonated with you and how can you start implementing or are you already implementing? We'd love to know. Uh, so share in the comments, whatever you see this episode. Once again, thank you, David, for being here and looking forward for more. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for letting me come play. Yes, wonderful. Bye. What did you like the most about this episode? Take a moment to think about what change you can make in your life today. Share your conscious action on social media using hashtag conscious action and tagging at conscious action and said so we can celebrate your impact on the world and create a ripple effect. One easy action we would love for you to take right now is to share, like and subscribe to this podcast. This will help us get these messages out into the world and inspire more people to take conscious action in their own lives, contributing to the better world we hope for.